Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26 says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who, make, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and, his, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men uh, who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. <clears throat> and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship which, uh, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered among, uh, numbered with the eleven apostles. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. Thank you that you've given it to us. God, I pray for this time together that, uh, that you would speak to us through your word, and, and Lord God, that you would guide our prayers as we, as we intercede for our city, for our world. God, we thank you for all that you're doing here in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, I want to start with this question to all of you. Um, what's something constant in your life? Your need to eat, your hunger, okay? Or need to eat, anyway. I don't know if there's different or not. <laughs> yeah, okay. Anything else constant that you can think of? Mm, okay. There's a good distinguishing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The bills keep coming. Yeah. Despite our efforts to ignore them or keep the mailbox closed. <laughs> Age. Yeah. Time. Other thoughts of constants in, in life? One thing I, well, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
one example the Bible uses often, especially when, uh, when God is making covenant or some, something with someone, is that he talks about the sun and the moon, the rising of the sun and the moon. Uh, so that's, that's another constant that we see. Other thoughts of constants that we see in our lives. This scripture, uh, one of the things we're going to point at and one of the reasons that we're talking about prayer is that one of the things said here is that prayer is constant among the disciples. They're constantly devoting themselves to prayer, continually devoting themselves to prayer. And that's one of the main points that we're going to look at uh, in this text. But before we get there, I just want to speak to sort of what's here. We read a lot about Judas and, and you might have questions about what is that about? Like, why are they replacing Judas? What's the purpose there? So I'll spend a few minutes there, and then we'll talk about uh, prayer. And as I said, then, then David will come up. Um, so a couple things that I want to say about this text. Um, uh, the first thing is that what we see in this text is really a group of people making a decision about replacing a, a person. So we see two things. There's a decision being made, and there's someone being replaced. That's the decision that is being made. Um, and it's cool, as we were studying this, and we talked about it some in, uh, in Bible study on Wednesday, uh, is that we see in this text a really, actually, a great way for us to uh, approach decisions in our life. So, very simple application for us to look at here. Uh, one thing that we notice in the text is that uh, the individuals are praying. So, the disciples, they're praying. There's a decision that needs to be made, and they are praying about the decision, uh, which we'll talk about more. The second thing that we see is they're, they're testing the situation against Scripture. So a couple of things. We see, uh, see Peter speaking to the group and saying, this is, this is what was said about Judas, and, and this is why we need to replace him. It says, uh, may his camp be desolate and let no one, no one live there or dwell in it, and let another take his office. So they have a reason for why they're making this decision. It's that the wicked need their position replaced. Um, and the next one is that we, we need to approach decisions with wisdom. So you'll, you'll see in uh, verses 21 uh, and following that as they're making the decision about who ought to replace Judas, they say a few things. They say, one of the men who have, one of the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism and ending with his resurrection. Because okay, so they're looking at the situation and saying, Okay, our purpose as the 12 disciples is to testify to the work of Christ and what he's done. And so wisdom would tell us that if we're going to replace someone that's a part of that group, they need to have been with us through that whole period so they can actually testify to what God has done through Christ. It can be a complete testimony of that. And then finally, they depend on the Lord to make the decision. So uh, first we see that they pray. First, Next we see that they test things against the scripture. Next, we see that they apply wisdom to the situation. And finally, they rely on the Lord to make the decision. As you, uh, as you see at the end, they're casting lots, actually, between two individuals that they have put forward. And uh, nowhere in the text, you know, I always look at this and think, man, they're like, sort of relying on some lots to decide the situation. <laughs> like, this is pretty, uh, pretty weird. But um, the truth is that throughout the Old Testament, they often used lots. The, the uh, Urim and the Thurim was often used to make a decision. Um, and so this is a similar situation. What, they, what we think they would have done is placed these individuals' names on rocks and pulled them out of a bag or shaken them until 
one fell out, and the first one to fall out would be the person that is chosen. So, um, so they're actually relying on the Lord to make that decision by the, by the casting of lots. Um, for us today, that is, that is switched, right? In the new covenant, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So as we pray, as we apply wisdom to a situation, as we look at scripture, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking to us and telling us decisions that we need to know about. So we don't have to, you know, pull out the lot casting uh, thing. And we never, for the rest of the Bible, we don't see any casting of lots to make decisions. They rely on the Spirit to direct them, whether it be to appoint individuals for uh, service to the widows or whether it be to commission individuals for service uh, to the kingdom. So, uh, so those, four, those four principles come to us in disciple-making. Prayer, Scripture, wisdom, and relying on the Lord or relying on the Holy Spirit uh, for us today as, as believers. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out from the text very briefly. The, the second thing is the question, why are we replacing Judas in the first place? Like, if he died, like, why can't we just go forward with 11? Like, what's, what's the big deal, right? So um, there's a couple things. And, and the first thing is that uh, the replacement of Judas is actually the, a continued judgment upon him. And I hadn't seen this before until we were studying it this week. Um, and I always look at Psalm, these two Psalms that are here. I'm like, what is that? How does that apply to Judas? Like, how did that work? You know, but if you read the context of those Psalms, they're speaking about the wicked. Okay. And so when it says, let another take his office, it's not like, okay, Judas is going to come up and let someone take his office. That's not how it says. It's, it's just speaking about the wicked and their activities. And one of the things it says about the wicked is that they should let another man take his office. So, um, so this is actually a continued judgment upon Judas for what he has done. Judas, as you know, we, we, we see him go from uh, really through a few phases uh, as you look in the Gospels. He, he starts as being one that is uh, entitled by his position. He's sort of taking money from the, from the bag, thinking, I deserve this. Like, I, yeah, I, I can take. He's justified taking money from the bag uh, of, of money that the disciples were uh, were using. He was the treasurer, and he was helping himself to that, it says. And the next thing we see is that he is taken by greed, okay? So when an opportunity comes, he's looking at where Jesus's trajectory is going and, and what's happening in society. He says, you know what? I think it'd be more profitable to me to go a different direction. So he is persuaded by greed. So he goes from a sense of entitlement to a place of greed in his life, and then from greed, he goes to betrayal, so he's taken the money, and he's now betraying the man that has been with him, teaching to him for three years, sharing his life, de- demonstrating miracles, proclaiming the kingdom of God over his life, giving him, showing him an inheritance. Um, so he goes from entitlement to greed to betrayal, and what we see in this passage is that he ends at disinheritance. See, the, the, 12, had, the 12 disciples had an inheritance. They, they were given a mission by Christ, but also... In Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, it says, You are those who, I have, uh, who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink in my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, so the, the twelve weren't just picked for some random reason. They were picked so that they would judge the twelve tribes of Israel. There are twelve disciples judging twelve tribes of Israel. So they had a purpose in that. So they needed to replace 
replace his spot, okay? So his, his inheritance is essentially passed away. He is let, let go of it by betraying Christ. And so now uh, they have to replace him as continued judgment upon him for his decision uh, to, uh, to betray Christ. And evidence of this is, is the fact that later when disciples die, we don't see them being, or when apostles die, we don't see them being replaced. So, you know, when James dies, we don't see another council come together and say, okay, we need to replace James and put him in the 12. This is the only case where we see one of the 12 being replaced. So this is clearly a, a, an act of judgment, again, upon uh, Judas for what he has done. So they're replacing Judas, and uh, hopefully that answers some questions about why we're supposed to replace him. And the practical purpose with the 12, again, is that they're on a mission, right? Their mission is to proclaim the resurrection of Christ to, uh, uh, to, to, to the nations, really, starting in Jerusalem and going to the nations. And their, their purpose is to proclaim repentance and forgiveness in Christ's name. And again, just like we talked about earlier, the only way that someone can testify to what Christ has done is if he had been with them the whole time. And so uh, that's the next reason that, that we're replacing Judas. We need the, the 12th person that had been there the whole time to see what Christ had done. But again, like I said, we want to focus tonight on, on prayer. And this, uh, this one verse in uh, verse 14 really speaks to what is going on in this situation. Um, last week, we saw that Christ has ascended to heaven, and he's given the disciples some instructions. He said, uh, he, he says in uh, Acts 1, verses 7 and 8, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is the purpose that they're waiting for. They're waiting for the Spirit to come upon their lives so that they can continue to fulfill the mission that Christ has given to them. And so what we see here is 120 disciples have gathered in a room in Jerusalem where they have been told to stay, and they are praying. That's what they're doing with their time. And in verse 14, uh, Luke records this, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That word uh, in the ESV is devoting themselves is, um, is actually more, more like uh, the NIV translates it, they constantly praying. So there's a, not just devote themselves on one, one occasion, but they're constantly devoting themselves, continually devoting themselves to uh, prayer for what God is going to do. So there's uh, obviously lots to say about prayer. The Bible talks about it a lot, uh, but we best grow, as, as I've said already, we best grow in praying by praying. And so that's what we're going to do this evening. Uh, before we do that, just a few thoughts on prayer as we enter in. Uh, we see throughout, um, well, the first point I want to make is that uh, we, we need to devote ourselves to praying both individually as well as corporately. And oftentimes we disregard the, the, the necessity of corporate prayer and that's one thing we try and emphasize here a lot is that we need to pray corporately for one another. These disciples were assembled together, devoting themselves to prayer. So we need to do that. Um, it's true that we, we can pray anywhere, anytime, wherever we're at, but Acts gives us a pattern throughout of corporate prayer. And some things that we see them praying for throughout the book of Acts, uh, healing, commissioning of disciples, release of captives, wisdom, uh, Holy Spirit to come on individuals, 
this is the testimony of prayer throughout Acts. Um, and finally, in, in general, prayer uh, can be seen in, in a number of ways. Uh, we see it in, in the epistles as used for spiritual warfare. We see it praying for the persecuted. We see it praying for wisdom. Um, we see it in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, where, uh, where we're told that we're fighting in a spiritual realm. There are spiritual realities around us. If, if we're just looking at things in the natural and in the physical and not uh, regarding the spiritual battle that is happening, we're missing a huge piece of what's going on in our lives as Christians. If we look at those around us that don't believe in Christ and say, well, they just need the knowledge. If I could just present the knowledge appropriately to them, then we're missing the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on in people's minds and hearts. And, and so we have to be fighting that spiritual battle uh, on our knees together. And another testimony that we see in Philippians is that uh, that Philippians chapter 1, Paul is asking for the saints to be praying for him as he is in chains, he's in bondage. He is desiring to be set free. And he says that the prayers of the saints are, the one, are, are going to be effective for his release. He is relying on the prayers of the saints. So we should take that to mind, especially this weekend. I don't know if you've listened to much news this weekend, but um, tons of attacks on Christians this weekend. Uh, 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 I think the bomb was in Kenya that killed 75 Christians uh, in a church. Oh, Pakistan. That was Pakistan. And then uh, there was a, a shooting, I guess, in Kenya at a, at a, at a mall. and uh, like All kinds of uh, persecution going on around the world. Um, and so our prayers need to be for those who are persecuted for their faith. We have to realize as Americans, we have been privileged in a lot of ways to openly uh, preach the gospel, to encourage one another in an open manner. And so we need to be uh, on our knees praying for those who don't have such, uh, such a luxury. And then finally, again, like I said, James uh, speaks to us about praying for wisdom. Just as we saw as an example with the disciples, they're praying for wisdom about a decision. We have to be praying for wisdom in our time together.